The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. You want the good news, you want the bad news. I don't like either one of those options. Your words are super wise, man. You are a prophet. You deserve a prophet. You do whatever you want. Who am I to tell you what to do? But you're a psychologist. Well, I know less than you do. You're making me a better parent and a better wife, and thank God you're on the radio. What planet are you on? I don't buy any of that stuff. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. What are you talking about? You make my afternoon really fun. Enjoy ya. You're about the most exciting thing I have right now. <laughs> now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. One thing I don't understand, good news versus bad news, and you don't want either one of those options. Why would you not want good news? The ultimate good news, the gospel, is Christ. God came here to us humans, came one of us, died for us, so that we could, if we believe in him and persevere through his grace, have life forever, whatever that's going to look like on the other side of the now. Nice to have you with me. This is E-Person Monday. E-Person Monday is reserved for the... I hate to say emails because, again, I, I slip into linguistic insensitivity every once in a while. Letter assuming, mail, um, <clears throat> that come in, and there's a lot of them. I, I would venture to say there are as many emails that come in as people who call the show, uh, both coming from the radio and from the TV show, Living Right with Dr. Ray. So, at this point, um, we want to... There's the, that stack is still sitting there, and it's it's long. And I don't want to go too far back. I mean, some of these, I don't get to them, and they're, they're a month or two old, and it's uh, kind of like the cops showing up after the fight. Everything's kind of settled down, and the cops come in and pick up the pieces. Well, a lot of, the, a lot of these e-persons, I would imagine that, that some of the situations have been either resolved for better or worse and so when I comment on them on an E-Person Monday, whoever catches it, the person who wrote it, might say, oh, that's old news. That's old news. And besides, what you're suggesting we do, we did the exact opposite, and it worked. So I'm taking a risk letting these things go on too long. But we'll get to them shortly. My son sent me an Instagram. And by the way, uh, I am now on Instagram. And what we are doing on Instagram is uh, short reels, suggestions on living better, parenting better, being married better, as best we can. Tidbits, ideas. You know, I guess Instagram is one of those things where you can't go on and on and on and on like I do on this program. On Instagram, I hope to offer some, some things that you listen to and hear and say, that's helpful. That works. I want to do that. Or I want to try that. Or no, that stinks. I'm going to ignore that one and go see what he's got in the past. Now, we had one. This is it's kind of fascinating to me. We had one right now that's still trending. It's, I don't know, pushing 175,000 views. Uh, and I talked about it. It was from the TV show. 
And I talked about when you have an adulterous relationship outside of a marriage and you repent, you give it up. Almost always the person who did it underestimates the damage and how long it takes to heal and repair the marriage from the other person's perspective. That thing went crazy. I we were I guess it was just the topic. All right, but it, it's there. Um, so now Instagram is just starting up. I, I had not been on Instagram forever. I mean, you're talking to a guy who wore his garage door opener for two years so people would think I had a pager. I don't want to say I'm technologically illiterate, but my son is carrying me, as well as the dear lady who runs my Facebook page, Katie. Enough of that. On the Instagram, I saw a fella in tone so confidently. Relationships, not religion. That is really dumb. First of all, it just automatically assumes that religion is a pejorative word. Nonsense. Religion is the expression of the relationship. Wonder how it would work if I went to my wife and I said, Honey, I want you to know how much I love you. I truly do. I want to have a beautiful relationship with you. Now, don't expect me to come home at night when you want me to. And don't expect me to change any diapers. I mean, that's rules. That's rules. That's expectations. Don't get into that. I just want to have a relationship here. Yeah. How far would that relationship go? Religion makes the relationship better. If I say I love Jesus Christ and I want to be a disciple and I want to have a beautiful relationship with her, the next question is how do I do with him? Sorry. How do I do that? Do I pray? Do I worship at Mass? Do I follow the moral system? I mean, all of that comes under the rubric of religion. It seems to me that that's kind of a Weasley way to water down Christianity. I don't have to do those things because those are rules. And rules isn't what makes me love Christ. If you only follow the rules, I got that. But the combination of relationship and religion is what brings you closest to Christ. The message so often is this religion will stand in the way of your closeness to Christ. How is that? If I go to Mass on Sundays, is that religion? Or is that relationship? If I strive hard to forgive my totally, completely obnoxious relative for the 47th time, because Jesus says so. Is that religion? It's a sleight of hand with words. Relationship good, religion bad. 
I find that if I say I want to have a relationship with Jesus and I don't want religion to get in the way, well, then it, it sort of becomes my definition of the relationship. I'm going to leave my wife and kids, but I still have a relationship with Jesus Christ because religion, or or at least Jesus' teachings that some people call religion, stand in the way. I'm still a Christian, even though I left my wife and kids, right? Because I have a relationship with Jesus. I see that so much in modern Christianity, and I think it is risking a real weasel move. Because without expectations, without guidelines, without (gasps) religion, then my relationship with Jesus becomes my terms. I define what I need to do to have that relationship. I don't have to listen to any kind of authority who says... This is what Jesus left us. This is what he would ask of us. This is the way we are to conduct ourselves. Religion is the bugaboo now. It's the ugly word. It's the word that is used to stand between us and Christ. It was never intended that way in the history of Christianity. Is it ironic that only relatively recently that's become a mantra? Relationship, not religion. Where did that mantra come from? Because in the history of Christianity, it would be hard-pressed to find it. Religion is the expression of the relationship. I'm Dr. Ray. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. It's been nine presidential elections that I've been on the air, and I've been watching Christians engage the culture around us. In almost every campaign year, candidates urge us to take back America. This is about as tired a phrase as you can find. And yet, with each election, the command to take back America reappears. We seem to think that America's problem that we have to correct is go back to a different idea of the budget or a different foreign policy or new regulatory reform. I'd argue that America's biggest problem is this act of idolatry that has allowed us to turn the emphasis on ordered liberty into a preoccupation with personal and individual autonomy. I'd go further and say that any attempt to take back America or make America great again that does not attack the idolatry of individual autonomy is doomed to failure. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. 
The wisdom of Mother Angelica. The devil will always do his best to tempt you into sin until you get to that place where you love sin. That's what he wants. He wants you down there with him. And not because he loves you, he hates you. When you do what the enemy tempts you to do, he does it out of pure hatred. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Too cool. Be in love for my mind. Yeah, I still play softball. As a matter of fact, not to brag, but I had my last game last summer. I had two hits. But I was almost thrown out at first base by the left fielder. Who bobbled it twice? Those of you who are ball players would know <laughs> that image. <laughs> Okie dokie. This is from Hi, Dr. Ray. I'm 56. My husband is 61. We have seven children, all of whom were homeschooled through grade 10. Our third born child is 26, diagnosed with. Crohn's and bipolar. A few years ago, she cut off and ceased contact with her elder sister and her grandmother, my mother, due to their adherence to church church teaching on sexuality and morality. Now, let me just jump in there for a second. We've, a couple weeks back, had a call that talked about we Christians are showing potential weakness in our faith, if if we don't cut somebody off or shun them or or in essence punish them for living against the faith that they were raised with or that they still proclaim they hold, and I said as Christians we we we're not to shun these people. Yeah, we we can certainly have our our beliefs and they can know our beliefs and we can even attempt to talk with them, but to write them off, especially if they're family members. Uh, that's that's something you got to think long and hard about. And typically, only in cases of severe abuse or violence or threats, significant threats to well-being. Well, notice that those who reject the faith, predominantly for sexuality reasons, want nothing to do often with those who believe the faith. Have you notice that? In the sense they're saying, and I'm not saying anything new here. Many people have commented upon this hypocrisy. I want you to tolerate and accept and even celebrate what I choose to do. But I will not, under any circumstances, accept what you believe. Isn't that interesting? They, they don't even see the contradiction there. But that's so common. It's so very, very common. And I know many of you listening to me right now have had people, adult children perhaps, most of the time, Shut you off because you don't think like they want you to think. And that is the only sin left. You don't think like me, predominantly in sexual matters, then get away from me. Interesting, is it not? I thought it was fascinating. Recently, she cut off contact with me. 
She maintains a relationship with my husband and her other siblings, but states that only two of her siblings, quote, accept her completely. Now, again, accept her completely. What does that mean? Does that mean we celebrate, and if you're happy having that kind of sexual morality, that's just fine with us? Or does it mean we love you, we don't agree with what you're doing, but we love you? What does that mean? Now, most of the time from the other direction, it means accept me completely and therefore celebrate the way I do things, even though it's directly counter to the deepest things you believe about morality. So that's what accept me completely probably means. She identifies as bisexual, calls herself recovering from heterosexuality, and is rabidly and vociferously anti-Catholic and anti-God. Okay, and that's, by the way, that's very, very common. When someone says, I have a certain traction in a certain direction sexual, sexually, uh, then they're, they're, they're more likely, much more, much more likely, highly likely, to reject the church, to reject God, to reject traditional Christian views of things. She says that she suffers from, quote, religious trauma syndrome. End quote. Now, that's not a diagnosis. That is something that somebody has concocted somewhere, someplace she's read. Now, <clears throat> there was a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, which would, would indicate that there's an individual here who's, who's struggling in her life. Emotionally, there's some struggles. Mom goes on. This is exquisitely painful to me. I love her deeply. But I am honoring her request for no contract contact, incidentally, Dr. Ray, made harder when my husband will do anything, I don't know what that means, to maintain a relationship with her. Well, that could be good, depending, depending upon how far he goes. If he allows her to trash mom, then I could see mom being pretty upset about that. Or if he says, whatever you do is absolutely fine with me, and if my religion stands in the way, I'll jettison my religion. Okay, now I could understand mom again being upset about that. Mom says this, wounded people wound others, which she has done quite publicly and on social media. So in other words, she's gone on social media and just absolutely trashed her mom, and perhaps her grandmother and her elder sister. How do I best handle the situation? How should my husband deal with this? How can our family heal and reconcile, or should we even try? It goes without saying that I pray for her fervently. All right, let me take the last line first. Of course. I've had people ask me, Dr. Ray, why don't you advise people to pray? Because you got to know your audience. And most of the people who call this show are fervently religious folks. They may not all be Catholic, but they still, most of them, still believe that Jesus Christ was God and want to live according to his principles. So for me to say, have you prayed? You need to pray about this. There, none of them are going to say, I'd never thought of that. Dr. Ray, you're a genius. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then I've had people say to me, well, you need to tell them how to pray or you need to tell them what to pray about. Well, wait a minute. Now, prayer is not a formula here. They're praying from their heart and they know the situation a lot more than I do. It's highly likely they've been praying for the things that would best resolve the situation. How can our family heal and reconcile? Or should we try? Well, if she wants no contact with you, then you're not, at least in the meantime, going to be part of that healing. The other siblings, your husband, they're the ones who I would hope would say, we, yes, we, we want to have a relationship with you, but at some point you're going to have to reconcile with mom, grandma, and your sister. I would hope they're doing that. If not, mom, I would suggest maybe you suggest that to them. Say, okay, she don't want anything to do with me, but you guys still have the communication lines open, and hopefully you can get her to recognize that because I don't approve of the way she lives doesn't mean... I hate her because that's how she's interpreting it. Now, how should my husband deal with this? Again, if in fact he is compromising everything to get along with your daughter, compromising his Catholic beliefs, compromising the fact that she can say anything she wants about mom and there will be no repercussions from dad, Dad won't even attempt to direct her away from that behavior. Then, then yeah, I, I, I don't know at this point, Mom, how much Dad has sort of compromised this. If, on the other hand, he's just trying to have a relationship with her, then he's the one that has the bridge to somehow, some way, maybe. She's only 26. Who knows what she's going to think like when she's 30 to bring about this. But, Mom, here's what I would say to you. You need peace. As long as you connect your peace and your contentment to the way your daughter acts and thinks, you're a hostage. If you can decide... I love her. I'll pray for her. But I am not going to destroy myself emotionally because she's doing this. Now, you said you had seven kids. You didn't talk at all about the other six. But I'm going to assume the other six are doing pretty good. Maybe most of them are still in the faith. And you have a relationship with them. That's tremendous. Are you kidding me? Nowadays, six out of seven? That's phenomenal. I know there are people listening to me right now who are thinking, I, I would love to just have one out of four. Exactly. So understand that given certain personalities, certain wiring, uh, and the culture, which is very hostile to traditional Christian sexual morality, there's going to be a kid, maybe two, Who's going to say, I can't stand the fact that you think the way you do. And here's the other thing, Mom. You've probably been the most vocal about it. In your own way, I'm not saying you're hostile or nasty, but you were probably the one that made it most obvious how you believe, how you think, how you see her choosing to live her life. 
If that's the case, you're the ones going to get punished. Well, you're not going to do that anymore because you have no contact with her anymore. She's already decided you're persona non grata. But let the other people in your family be the ones to try to soften her perspective in all this. Maybe get them to speak with her about the idea that just because mom doesn't agree with you doesn't mean she doesn't love you. Allow mom to have her beliefs. You have your beliefs. Allow mom to have hers. I'm Dr. Ray. What does the Tenth Commandment condemn? When the Lord God told us not to covet our neighbor's goods, he denounced envy, avarice, and greed as the root of theft, robbery, and fraud. Greed, the Catholic Catechism tells us, is the desire to amass earthly goods without limit. Avarice arises from a passion for riches and the power that attends to their possession. He who loves money never has money enough says the Roman Catechism. The Tenth Commandment also requires us to banish envy from our hearts, reminding us that the devil's envy of God brought death into the world. Envy is defined as sadness seeing another's goods, accompanied by the immediate desire to possess those goods. Note, our Lord placed being poor in spirit at the top of the list of his eight Beatitudes. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. The Catholic Church teaches that Jesus Christ is literally and wholly present, body and blood, soul and divinity, under the appearances of bread and wine. St. John the Apostle records the John chapter 6 Bread of Life discourse in which Jesus states that his flesh is true food and his blood true drink. Who better to understand John's writings and subsequent teachings than a disciple and student of John, St. Ignatius of Antioch? In his letter to the Smyrnians in 110 AD, Ignatius writes, I have no taste for corruptible food, nor for the pleasures of this life. I desire the bread of God, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ. And for drink, I desire his blood, which is love incorruptible. The Catholic Church absolutely follows St. John and St. Ignatius in taking Jesus at his word. Examining the truths of the Catholic faith, this is faithforensics.org. Had a situation the other day. Oh, boy. My wife and I were... We were watching a movie, a movie theater, and in front of us was this uh, young couple, and he was holding her hand, and he was talking very sweetly into her ear and just and just caressing her hand. And my wife said, Ray, why don't you do that? Now, I don't know if I handled this right, but I said, honey, I, I don't even know that girl. Okay. I didn't. It's a joke. Dr. Ray, my husband and I 
along with my mom and dad, have been during a great trial for the last two and a half years. We were all attacked by COVID, resulting in hospitalizations of my dad and husband, who both fought off COVID pneumonia. Less than a year later, oh boy, this is this is a, a lot of stuff. My father had his leg amputated below the knee, and that took almost a year to heal. My mother was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and had six months of grueling chemotherapy. I had to learn to do wound care for both of them, and I assure you I did. But sometimes when I close my eyes, it's all I can see. I manage their meds, their doctor's appointments, etc. My husband helps. My husband and I have moved in with my parents during the worst part of my mom's illness, all while trying to maintain our own home. Okay, is this a stressful situation or what? And what happens when you get bombarded with these kinds of demands? What does your body do? Well, we're going to find out. Dr. Ray, I really am trying to make a long story short, but that's okay. You didn't have to do that. I made it shorter because I cut out parts. But rest assured, there were more stressors. We've all moved in together in a new house. We've had so many blessings. My parents are medically stable, but remain medically fragile. Mental capacities are fine. My husband is a true gift. It's me who is not okay. I literally feel my heart racing. Little things trigger what I call my, quote, silent panic attacks. For example... If someone sneezes, I immediately think COVID. If mom gets a twinge in her belly, I immediately think the worst. My poor dad just had prostatitis, and it about did me in from worry. Now, here's a key line from her, and this may be the one thing that can begin to help her get past some of this anxiety response. Intellectually, I know there is nothing I can do to control any of this. Okay, stop the tape. Many people say, well, intellectually, I know that, but my emotions, I can't get my emotions to know that. What? No, no. Your intellect is the thing that is going to deal with the emotions. So when you intellectually know something, you can use your intellect to alter the emotions. How do I do that? Okay, just, I'm coming, I'm coming to that. I also, Dr. Ray, would not change anything, and I will remain devoted to their care. Okay, so what she's saying is I'm not going to get myself out of the situation. How do I rid myself of these awful feelings? I prayed and prayed. Is it sinful to ask for antidepressants? I feel like I'm giving in. Well, no, it's not sinful. The question becomes, uh, is, is antidepressants going to do you some good? And I, I can't say that from here. I feel like I'm giving in. All right. First of all, the first, that's, that's just not, see, see I'm, I'm searching for things to say because I'm, I'm, I'm just mixing in words here. That's called embolalia, by the way, when you're just kind of searching for crutch words like, well, I mean, okay, so those are all just buying time. I would say, now see, this is, this is another crutch word. I would say this, that's not necessary, but I'm still searching for how to put this. The silent panic attacks are bothering you because you're afraid of them. If you say to yourself, I'm going to go sit down until this passes, it will pass. What you're saying is, I'm losing my mind. I'm 
drifting into some kind of disorder. I'm losing my ability to cope. Probably not. Well, I can say for sure on the first two, your ability to cope is going to be affected somewhat because you're so anxious periodically. But if you say to yourself, there is no danger here. It is perfectly understandable. Given the situation I have been in the last couple of years, that my body would be reacting like this. My body would be listening to my brain intellectually. And my brain is telling my body, danger, danger. You are in danger. And my body, which is dumb, says, okay, okay, okay. I, I will raise the heartbeat. I will, I will, I will pick up the respiratory rate. I will raise the blood pressure. I will, I'll be ready. I'm ready. I'm ready now. No, no, there's no danger here. The danger has been the constant stress that you've been in. If you focus on the fact that there are times when things are going smoothly and that periodically you will have these, quote, silent panic attacks. We're assuming nothing is wrong here. I'm, I'm going to assume you've medically checked it out and you got a clean bill of health. So if that's the case, then what's happening is very understandable. You're not losing your mind. You're not having a heart attack. You're not going crazy. Probably don't need to rush to the emergency room. Maybe you already have. What you're having is your body react. Don't panic about being panicked. Sit down. Rest. It will pass. It, it's going to pass. When you get so distressed that it's happening, you just keep it going. If you say to yourself... What do I expect? This is my body's defense against all this stress. It will taper in time if I don't give it so much meaning. If I recognize it as a very uncomfortable physiological state that I will allow to pass... And then I will continue to do what I do, however the demands might be. You say to yourself, somebody sneezes, I think COVID. The first thing you do is intellectually you tell yourself, that's ridiculous. It's not COVID. Cut it out. You need to challenge those thoughts. You don't just simply say, it's COVID. What if it's COVID? What if it's COVID? No, until you challenge those thoughts and you recognize they're completely irrational and self-defeating, you won't rewire your brain. If your mom, whom I'm going to assume is elderly, has some physical problems, you can expect that. So therefore, when she has something that comes up, you say, oh, we're going to deal with it as best we can, but I recognize my mom's age. She's not 31. So therefore, this may take a while to fix and you don't want to go so far as to say it can't be fixed. But that's the reality, perhaps. But you don't want to think that because that's what throws you over the edge. I'm Dr. Ray.
Connection with Teresa Tomio. That idea of suffering is one of the reasons many people either turn away from God or they ignore faith altogether because they cannot comprehend or wrap their heads around suffering and all the suffering in the world. This is an issue for you, and it's it's an issue for all of us from time to time when we go through rough situations. To say, Lord, what do you want me to learn about suffering? Ask the Lord to help you understand the meaning of suffering. God doesn't waste his time with anything. Whatever you go through, he will use if you allow him to use it. And you look at the greatest evil, right? The killing of God, Jesus, the Son of God on the cross. And what came out of that? Our salvation. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern, on EWTN Radio. Christ is the Answer, with Father John Ricardo. In the midst of our culture today, in this age of relativism, which wants to grant Jesus some significance, but not so much, so we'll give him wise man, great leader, inspiring preacher, great teacher, prophet. You don't get that option when you claim to be God. What reasons do we have to believe that he is who he said he is? And it's important, again, to employ the use of our reason and to understand that faith is not blind. My faith, and please God, the faith of everyone here, is not blind. It rests on something. It rests on a number of things, not least of which is my own experience of God, but it also has something substantial which can be claimed through history. We're not talking about a galaxy long, long ago, far, far away, when we talk about Jesus. We're talking about a precise moment in history which has been testified to by countless testimonies, and you and I have access to them. Thank you for joining me here on The Doctor Is In, Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time, on these EWTN Global Catholic Radio Networks. There's a whole bunch of other networks linked in to EWTN, some 400-plus stations around the world, about 500. I don't know what languages I have to learn to get into some of those. I can do the Australian. Hello. But short of that, and maybe uh, some British, but uh, not even formal British. I don't know how to do that. Uh, Also, on Instagram now, uh, my son is managing the account, and we're trying to do our very best to put on some some very helpful, short. You don't have to devote a whole lot of time. That's, I guess, what Instagram is. It's, It's that Insta, huh? We're feeding into your lack of attention span, but hopefully some of the stuff said is helpful for you. My 23-year-old daughter has, for three months, used meth, engaged in many risky behaviors, and has been involved in criminal activity. Whoa! Okay. (laughs) There is a life that is really reeling towards self-destruction. She's also been fired twice from minimum wage jobs for excessive tardiness. Yeah, it sounds like she doesn't want to work. It sounds like perhaps the meth is interfering. We pay her rent because we don't want her homeless. But we don't want her living with us either. My, something tells me she wouldn't follow your rules 
that'd be that'd be a real problem. And uh, if you have a rule of no drugs and she is really hooked on meth, uh, that's probably not going to happen. She's currently looking for work. Should my husband and I tell her that if she gets fired again, we don't want any further contact with her? Notice how so many of our questions are phrased. Should. Should my husband and I tell her. In other words, tell me what the proper thing to do is. You are the parent. You know the situation. You know the history. I would weigh in on this. If it were me, I wouldn't tell her, I don't want any contact with you. I would say you can't come here intoxicated. You can't come here under the influence. I would say that. I would say that, well, this is interesting. You, you've decided to pay her rent. And, and if that's your decision, who am I to tell you don't do it? You're the parent. And you're saying we're going to pay her rent at least so she has a place to stay. But, but I'm wondering how, how is everything else being paid for? She's not working. Of course, there's a lot of government stuff she can get. But even at that, uh, does she have the money for utilities? Does she have the money for transportation? I'm assuming there's no insurance. She doesn't have any money for insurance. So I really don't know how she's managing to live. Although, interestingly enough, right now in our culture, there are a boatload of 20-some-year-olds living like this. And it always amazes me how they do it. They continue to subsist at a level that they aren't really motivated to make any kinds of changes whatsoever. And especially when you're on the drugs, the drugs really sort of dominate your conduct. Should my husband and I tell her that if she gets fired again? Well, you got to assume, Mom, she's going to get fired again. I mean, I, I would be shocked if she didn't. My guess would be she has a at least at this point, at age 23, that she is not wanting to be committed to a regular schedule regarding employment. And so, therefore, it wouldn't be unusual for her to get fired again and again and again. Perhaps she can look into rehab, although you haven't commented on that, but I don't even know if she'd be cooperative about that. The one thing I wouldn't do is say, if you do this, you are no longer our daughter. I wouldn't do that. I would probably put limits on what I would do to support her financially. Um, Sounds like you're doing the bare minimum. Okay. Although, two years from now, if you're still paying that rent, and she's still has not really made any attempts to help herself in any way. I I don't know if that will change your view of this. Most parents who do what you do are essentially saying, we're going to do this in the hopes that something will change. Somehow, some way, events, circumstances will alter Maybe she'll get a great boss that she really, really likes. The boss is tolerant, and she shows up for work, and pretty soon she develops somewhat of a work ethic, and maybe perhaps she goes to counseling. I know that's what you're all hoping for, understandably. But if it doesn't happen, 
then at some point you're probably going to have harder decisions to make. But I would not. I would not, if it were me and it was my daughter, I would not say, if you don't do this to help yourself, we have no relation. That is one I wouldn't do. This is Dr. Ray. Thank you for joining me. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Living the Beatitudes with Father Bjorn. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What does this strange beatitude mean? Well, Father Victor Feltz points out that George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life embodies this beatitude. He has to sacrifice his bucket list items and his dreams in order to save the building and loan company of Bedford Falls. But by the end of the movie, he realizes that he's truly the richest man in town. The Beatitudes challenge our understanding of happiness both as individuals and as a society. They're paradoxical and they upend our priorities. We don't need anyone to tell us that good fortune, money, and success do often make us happy. But we wouldn't have thought that the road to riches in God's kingdom is paved with meekness. It doesn't mean denying your gifts, but it does challenge us to allow others to have the spotlight and to approach them with gentleness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. For more about the Beatitudes, visit EWTNRC.com. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Nice to have you with me, Dr. Ray Garendi. This is E-Person Monday. Okie dokie. Let's see what we've got sitting here on my phone and in the stack. I'm a wife of 21 years. Not me. This is the letter writer. And mother of six. Oldest two are out of the house. My youngest is our little princess and joy. Well, I'll tell you, give me the oldest two are out of the house and you got this little three-year-old. Yeah, I don't know if you got some, some grandparenting going on here. She has three brothers at homes and seems to be a little monkey and not very sensitive. She's throwing her tan she's throwing tantrums now. Well, she's three. Three year olds throw tantrums. My wife always said, terrible twos, that's nothing. The three year olds. Temper tantrum throwing three-year-olds. Those are the ones who really start to assert their will. And she hits her head repeatedly 
on the hard floor after collapsing. I think she means after melting down to the floor, she bangs her head. I have never had a kid do this. Mom, you had six kids. You're lucky you made it to number six without one of your kids doing this. I was four. Those of you who are older might remember the little barrel game, Kitty and the Keg, where you had these barrels that kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and you, you unscrewed them and you opened it up until you finally got down to this tiny little barrel, Kitty and the Keg, and there's a little kitty in there. It was all exciting. It was supposedly for fine motor dexterity in little kids. I had one of those. Wouldn't open the way I wanted it to open, so I threw it against the cinder block wall of our basement. Shattered. Yeah, that's right. I had a strong arm for a four-year-old. My wife, my mother, who was washing clothes, said, Raymond, you need to pick that up. And it's gone in the trash. I said, you pick it up. Yes, I was a delightful little child. I had her. She looked at me, and I said, well, all right, I'm going to have to punctuate this. So I went over to the cinder block wall and I started banging my head against the cinder block wall. Now, I'm not a, I also was, was not the brightest of children either because that's really dumb. Cinder block walls don't yield. Floors might even yield a little bit, not cinder block walls. I had her putty in my hands. A woman was certainly going to do my will. She started walking toward me said, let, and she said, Raymond, let me help you. Now, I quickly realized that headbanging was not all it was cracked up to be, and I stopped. My mother was not going to bang my head against the wall, but she was also Italian, and she was not to be bullied by my head manipulations. Now, your little girl, I got to wonder, when she bangs her head against the floor, I'm wondering if you're thinking, is she going to hurt herself? Most of the time... They don't hurt themselves. They are smart enough to do this, and maybe it stings a little bit, but it's certainly nowhere near concussive force. Now, if you think that's the case, then you stop her. You stop her, and you discipline her. You say, you're hurting someone I love very, very much. You're going to stand in the corner. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to hurt this person I love so much. Sometimes, now this is mom talking. This is a pretty slick kid. If I say, ouch, be gentle to Felicity, which is her name, she'll smile and hit her head again. (laughs) It's like, hey, Ma, this is what I think of your parental direction. Is this called gentle parenting? I'm at a loss as what to do. Nothing seems to help. Oh, well, my guess would be, Mom... You haven't disciplined it. But Dr. Ray, it's not misbehavior. Well, it is. If if she were hitting a sibling, would you do something about it? Would you discipline it? She's not allowed to hit a sibling. Well, in essence, she's hitting someone in your family, herself. And if she were engaging in some kind of dangerous behavior, you'd stop her, right? She runs out onto the street, you're going to stop her, maybe swat her bottom because you just want to teach her you can't do that. Well, if she's banging her head on the floor, you want to teach her, I don't want you to do that. So what you do is discipline it. Say, you're not allowed to do that. 
I'm going to put you in a corner. Now, if you tell me if I put her in a corner, she's going to throw a fit and she's going to go down and she's going to bang her head again, which she could do. You have to decide what you want to do about it. You might have to decide the next five things she asks for. You simply say, oh, no, you hit your head on the floor. That hurts. I don't want you. I don't want you hurting my little Felicity. No, I, I, you're not going to get your favorite cup. Oh, no, 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 no. You, 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 can't, you can't play that game on the TV. Nope, nope, because uh, you hit your head on the floor. You could have reminded us, hey, don't do this. This is what I'm going to do. Now, as she, now, did you notice what you just said? Kind of interesting line. When you said, ouch, be gentle to Felicity, she smiled and did it again. Now, if it really hurt, I doubt that she'd smile. Ma, you think so? So she's looking at you like, is this cool or what? Watch watch what I can do to shake up my mother. Now, I am, as I said, shocked that you've had six children and you've not had any do this. Wow, that's impressive. (laughs) You have enough kids. You're going to have any of them do anything. Some of the others, or all of the others, didn't do. This just happens to be something that popped into her head, which is when I'm frustrated, not only will I throw a fit, but I'll show you because I know how much you love me, and I know this will shake you up. Now, she's not thinking like that, but it's there. She sees your reaction. So... I would, I would, I would tell her before she does it again. I would say Felicity. By the way, Felicity is the, it's, it's got Greek, Greek roots. Felicitoi, it means head hitter. Yeah, look, look it up, look it up, Felicitoi. Um, I would tell her beforehand, I don't want you hurting yourself anymore. If you do... I'm going to put you in the corner. All right. There we go. Uh, Heading to EWGN. Yep. Coming up. Coming up quickly in January. Uh, I think it's a, it's what, it's a Wednesday? I got a little, hold on. Let me look at the date here. Let me get the book because I know I'm coming in a day early because we got to prep. So the actual shows... Are January, it's a Wednesday, January 17. We'll do four shows at the EWTN studios in Birmingham. If you go to EWTN.com forward slash Dr. Ray Live, D R R A Y Live, you can sign up for one, two, three, four shows, and you get to be right there in the middle of all the neat EWTN goings on. So if you get sick and tired of my show, just head out. And peruse a whole bunch of other things. The chapel, the bookstore, the great technology they have. Thank you for joining me on the Sea Person Monday. I'm Dr. Ray. Walk with God. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook and Instagram. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.